Welcome to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. My name is Ashley, and I am planning my own unconventional budget micro-wedding in the middle of a pandemic. If you don't feel represented in mainstream wedding media, if you haven't been dreaming about your wedding day since you were six years old, and if you don't want to have an Instagram wedding, then you are in the right place. Hello, and welcome back to the Unconventional Wedding Planning podcast. We are picking up where we left off last week. So if you missed it, uh, go back and listen to last week's episode, Your Wedding Planning Checklist Part 1. And basically what we're doing is I am going through the ultimate wedding planning checklist and timeline from brides.com month by month and letting you know sort of my opinion on what they think you should be doing at that time, as well as, you know, where I'm at with my wedding planning and um, just sort of helping you feel better if you are behind, if you're ahead, if you're doing things in a different order, letting you know that it's totally okay. And uh, this is just, you know, one um, website's opinion and you can totally do your own thing. So in part one, we did months 12 through seven. And in part two, we're going to pick up at the six month out uh, timeline and probably make it all the way till day of unless I decide to talk way too long. So starting at six months out, Brides wants you to hire a lighting technician. And I actually laughed out loud when I first read this, hire a lighting technician. Like, I don't know if I am totally off base here, but I don't know any weddings that had a lighting technician. Like that just seems, it might, it's one thing, you know, to rent a few spotlights or something like that. Maybe your venue has that included, but to hire a lighting technician for your day. And even weirder, this is the only only thing brides wants you to do at six months out. This is um, a little bit wild to me. <laughs> so of course, if you can tell from my uh, complete dismay, I do not think you need a lighting technician for your wedding. That seems like um, that seems like a lot of money, <laughs> something that not, is not that important. However, I'm sure the people who do hire lighting technicians say it's totally worth it, makes all your photos look amazing. Um, I wouldn't really bother with it probably the best photos from your wedding are going to be like those ones that your photographer takes out um, outside in you know, beautiful weather. And if photographers are pros, they know how to capture images. You'll still get great shots of your first dance and cutting the cake and all that sort of thing, even if you don't have uh, professional lighting in your space, unless your venue is like pitch black. Um, then maybe you do need to bring in some lighting. Again, I don't know that you need to hire a technician to like be on hand the day of and set everything up. I could be wrong. Maybe you do need that. Um, but I do think there's other things you can be doing at the six month out uh, at six month out time. I think it's kind of odd that that entire month uh, you would just be hiring a lighting technician. That's your only thing. So I'll scroll back. Some of the things that I had said probably don't need to be done um, super early that you could actually do at six months would be, you know, your playlist, ordering some of those decor items, finalizing your florist, uh, registering for gifts, sending save the dates. I think six months is sort of the last time you'd want to do that. Figuring out your invites, um, if you still need to buy any like accessories or anything for your wedding dress, lots of things you could do at six months out uh, besides hiring a lighting technician. <laughs> so five months out, Brides wants you to book transportation for guests if needed. Um, again, if needed, I think that's super key here. This would be if you are providing transportation for your guests. So if you're like chartering a bus or 
a limo or some other things like that to get your guests either from their hotel to your venue or from the ceremony to the reception space or from the reception space back to the hotel. Maybe you're doing all of those things. Very nice of you. Um, that's great. Again, very optional. You do not have to do this. It's not expected. However, if you are having your wedding in like a place that is difficult to get to, if guests aren't going to be able to drive, if public transportation is not an option, if taxis are hard to find, if Uber doesn't exist there, then maybe you do want to look into some sort of a shuttle bus or something like that. Um, totally optional. But if you are going to get a bus, I think five months out is a good time to to look into that. Maybe even earlier, maybe push this up to the six month out mark, um, just because there may not be a ton of options for shuttle buses and things like that in your area. And again, they can only do one wedding a day. So if you're getting married on a very popular Saturday in the fall or something like that, those buses might be all booked out. So look into that early if that's something you definitely want to be providing for your guests. But again, optional, you don't have to do that there are usually options, uh, Uber, taxis, subways, whatever. There's a way for your guests to get around. Uh, five months out, brides would also like you to book the newlyweds transportation. So uh, how are you planning to get back from your wedding? How are you planning to get to your wedding? Uh, if I can offer some inspiration, my partner and I will be walking. <laughs> We're going to be staying at a hotel uh, close to our venue. I've shared before, our venue is just a family member's private home. Uh, it's about a five-minute walk from the hotel where we'd like to stay. It's also about like a 20, 30-minute walk from our house. So if for some reason the hotel doesn't work out, we could just probably walk home. Uh, if our feet really hurt, we'll hop in an Uber or a taxi. Um, but that's it. That's about as much planning as we have put into our transportation. So please do not feel like you have to get an Escalade limo or a helicopter or a carriage or whatever it is. Um, if that's something that's super important to you, you're really into cars or you're really into carriages, um, go ahead and book that if you want to have that specialty moment. But know that it's not a requirement. Um, and, you know, those send offs that you see where people have sparklers or, or uh, glow sticks or whatever it is, usually those are staged. Usually the wedding planner gets everyone to come outside. Um, it's a whole mess to coordinate because you have to get these super extra long sparklers so that they stay lit for a long enough time for someone to go down and light all of them. Usually people are a little bit drunk at this point, so it's a little bit scary <laughs> to, to be giving them something that is lit. The photographer's got to like coordinate everyone and then you fake leaving and then, you know, the photographer comes around with a bucket of water for everyone to drop their sparklers in and then you go back inside. So it's totally, totally faked. And I know the photos are kind of pretty, but to me, that would be a weird one to do to like ask everyone to fake leave our wedding just so we can get a photo and then go back inside. Um, so if, if that's, you know, what you were planning, you're thinking you're going to have this big old send off, probably not. In most cases, the newlyweds are like the last people to leave the venue because they have to make sure, you know, everyone's taken care of and the cake got packed away and the gifts made it into a car and that, you know, that vase you have to return to the florist is in a special spot and all that. So there's really no one around to watch you get into a limo. So no worries. You can absolutely hop into a taxi or an Uber or jump on a bike or walk or whatever it is you want to do. Um, I would not super, super stress about this unless it is important to you. At five months out, uh, brides would also like you to book the honeymoon. Um, this is actually one I, I kind of think you should do earlier. And again, this totally depends on your honeymoon, uh, the type of honeymoon you want to go on. I did an entire episode about honeymoons, everything you need to know before you book. So definitely head back and listen to that one. If you're wanting to do just like an all-inclusive resort, 
at, you know, anywhere warm. If like, you really don't care where it is, you just want to be on a beach, you want to be in a nice like villa with a king size bed and a gorgeous view, then sure, you could leave this to five months out because it's just going to be one simple booking, right? Like you might even be able to book the flight and the resort all together in one package, boom, you're done. Um, however, if you are making this, you know, a really big epic trip and you're hoping to get like flights to New Zealand and then you're going to stop off in Japan on the way back and you're going to plan this like four week itinerary and you're moving around all the time and you've got to book flights and ferries and hotel rooms and activities and rent a car and you're waiting to, you know, for a deal to pop up, then you definitely want to start thinking about this before the five month out mark. And as I said before, I am a huge travel lover. I've probably spent way, 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 way more time trying to plan our honeymoon than I have trying to plan our wedding. So to me, the honeymoon was like 24 months before the wedding. Uh, five months would not be enough time for me to plan out everything. I do think you probably don't need to do any booking until the five month out mark. But in terms of planning and thinking about your honeymoon, you can definitely be doing that earlier. But sure, go ahead and actually book stuff at the five month out mark. I think that's a good amount of time to still uh, get deals to still make sure there's some availability and not stress yourself out about like, oh my goodness, we're getting on a plane, but where are we going? <laughs> At five months out, uh, Brides also says that you should buy or rent the groom's tuxedo. This seems a bit early um, based on my very limited research, which was walking into one suit store and asking them when we should come uh, to get my partner's suit. Uh, my partner is actually going to get a custom suit made. He's very excited about it. He's picked out this like really gorgeous dark green color. Uh, they're going to make it perfectly fitted just for him. And it's actually a more affordable option than we thought it was going to be. It would actually have been more expensive for us to buy a jacket and pants that were already made and go get them altered to him than it will be to just get a custom suit. So our, um, the person that we spoke with told us to come at the end of June or early July for our wedding in mid September. September. So that is two and a half months. Is that the right math? <laughs> uh, yeah, about two and a half months uh, before our wedding. And that's when they've told him to come in for like his very first, you know, place the order. So not even the fitting. So Brian's telling you to do this at five months out seems a bit early based on that research. Um, but this is definitely something you can look into. And again, if you are, you know, buying and renting for the entire wedding party, if you have other people in your wedding party who will be, you know, wearing suits, then maybe you do want to get going on this a bit earlier just to make sure everyone has coordinated, you know, buying and shipping and trying on and alterations and all that good stuff. So definitely start looking into it, I would say at the five month out mark, but you might hear from whatever suit vendor or tuxedo vendor you decide to go to that you don't need to come back for a few months. At five months out, brides would also like you to begin premarital counseling. This is super cool. I'm actually very impressed that brides has this on their checklist. I think um, most most wedding planning uh, checklists or timelines would not include anything about premarital counseling. So I think that's super cool that uh, it's on the list. Depending on where you're getting married, I know in a lot of like Catholic churches, um, pre-cana, I believe it's called, uh, type of premarital counseling like you have to do before you get married. And then of course, if you're getting married in like a non-religious space, uh, there's probably not any mandatory counseling, but I think it's a great idea. And honestly, it's something I wish that we were doing. Um, we just don't really have a budget for it right now. And I do think we've done quite a bit of premarital um, discussions. <laughs> we've had quite a few premarital discussions. Um, so if you're looking for a budget way to do this, um, my 
what my partner and I did is we actually just looked online. If you Google like questions to ask before you get married or like things to discuss before getting married, there are so many. So we found like hundreds of questions and we put them all into a spreadsheet and we've just been asking each other these questions. Um, you know, every night before we go to bed, we used to do a question. We've kind of fallen off that now, but I think it was a really cool way to discuss things like you would never think about. Um, but over the years, just by virtue of the fact that we have uh, moved in together, we have bought a house together, adopted a dog together, combined our finances, lived abroad together. We've had a lot of discussions about, you know, money and uh, retirement and raising kids, if kids are in the future, things like that. So if you haven't had those big discussions, I would seriously, seriously encourage you to do that. And I would do it way sooner than five months out. Um, I think, yeah, do a quick Google on like things to talk about before you get married. You'll see the big ones usually are like kids, money, uh, divorce, infidelity, things like that. If those are all topics that are like totally foreign to you, you have no idea how you would broach that with your partner. That's definitely something you would want to look into and start talking about well before your wedding. And I think if you have the funds or the resources to bring in a third party, a counselor, that's a great idea. And it doesn't mean your relationship's in trouble. It doesn't mean your marriage isn't going to work out. Um, I've heard it equated to like a counselor is kind of like a coach. Um, so when you go to premarital counseling, it's sort of like, you know, training for the marathon. It's not because you broke your leg mid marathon. It's because you're about to start a marathon and you need to do some training. So I think it's a really, really great idea. Good job, brides. <laughs> great inclusion. At four months out, brides would like you to have your final tasting with the caterer. Um, that sounds great. Sounds very yummy. <laughs> so we are currently just over three months out and we were doing some informal tastings probably around this four month mark. And by that, I mean, we were just ordering from our favorite pizza, sushi, and like dessert bakery places and trying them out to decide what we would go for. We're not going to do the actual ordering until a lot closer to our wedding, just because again, we're going to have like 20, 25 guests. It's a lot smaller. So we don't really need to do a big formal order of like eight pizzas <laughs> and we're not really doing like a full sit down tasting because um, we don't have a caterer and most restaurants would find it odd if you came in and just asked to taste some things uh, but if you are having a caterer you're doing the big shindig then sure have your final tasting I think that would really depend on your caterer's schedule if you followed this bride's checklist where they had you selecting your caterer at 12 months, which again, I think you could probably push to like nine or 10, um, they will probably let you know when the final tasting will take place. Uh, so I would just go by their schedule, <laughs> make sure you're comfortable with the timeline, you have enough time to make any changes. And also I'm sure this is coming up later, but you really wanna make sure you know when those when your caterers need your final numbers for, um, for the dinner. So especially if you are having guests choose, you know, like, oh, chicken or steak or vegetarian, you want to know when your caterers need those numbers by. That'll determine uh, your RSVPs. Also, at four months out, brides would like you to choose your cake. Um, sure, that sounds tasty. I think, again, if you have your heart set on one specific baker, you'll probably want to do this ahead of time as they could fill up and get busy. But if you're kind of open to whoever, um, you're a bit more flexible, you're into you know different ideas then I think four months is a great time you also probably get to do a cake tasting which is super fun um yeah so have fun with this one I included cake tasting on the list of fun wedding planning tasks you can do with your partner and I think you should really enjoy this one especially at that four month out mark you might be feeling a little bit stressed <laughs> um, so that's a great time to enjoy some cake 
Also at four months, this checklist would like you to buy your wedding bands. Um, again, I think that depends on just how much you're putting into them. If this is a situation where you and your partner are going to need to visit a bunch of different local jewelers and you're going to have something like custom made, um, you know, something like engraved or whatever, then yeah, you probably do want to start looking at four months, if not sooner. If it's something where you're going to jump on Amazon or Etsy and just order something online, then you can do that anytime. Uh, my partner actually ordered his ring ages ago, uh, months and months ago, but it showed up like right away. He put it on. He's like, yep, fits and good to go. <laughs> We've had it in a box ever since. So he definitely could have waited to do that. Next, brides would like you to select the groomsman attire and schedule fittings within the month. So this is the four month out mark. Um, isn't it funny that the bridesmaids were told to go do this at like eight months out and the boys don't have to do it until four months out? Ugh, patriarchy. <laughs> um, I would actually say to do this ahead of time. I think four months out is a little close um, if any of your groomsmen need to order anything in. And uh, just, you know, from experience with uh, groups of men, they can be a little bit harder to um, organize, to herd. So if you were trying to get all of the groomsmen together to, um, you know, all go try on things together, all go order together, that can be a little bit difficult to coordinate. So I would probably start doing this maybe the five or six month mark and not leave it till four months. And I think it's even better if you can get like all of them together and get them all to order like in store so you don't have to leave it with anyone to go home and try to order. Um, if you can, you know, you know your group of friends best and what's going to work best for them. Generally speaking, the uh, groomsmen side of things is less work and less time than the bridesmaid side of things. So I understand why they don't have to start until four months. But again, I would give yourself maybe an extra month or two of buffer, uh, depending on your group. At four months out, uh, brides would also like you to do your hair and makeup trial. Um, so a lot of people do their hair and makeup trial at the same time as their engagement photo shoot to sort of, you know, two birds, one stone, you wanted to look great for your engagement shoot. So you might as well get your hair and makeup professionally done. I think that's a great idea. Um, if you can coordinate those two together. So of course, if you're following this checklist, that's not really going to work as they don't have you doing your hair and makeup trial until four months out. Um, but if you could coordinate it to have those both happen at the same time, I think that's great. Uh, they don't actually have you booking your hair and makeup person before this, but I assume that you would book your hair and makeup person before you did the trial. <laughs> um, so I guess you're supposed to have already done that. And then you go for the trial four months out. I think if you're going to do a trial and have it line up with your engagement photo shoot, then do it earlier. Um, I think four months out doesn't give you enough time to take those photos and use them for like save the dates or your website. However, if you're not going to use the makeup trial for your engagement photo shoot, then yes, I think four months out is totally fine. I think you could even do it closer to the wedding if you wanted to. Um, and just some advice on that hair and makeup trial, make sure, um, you know, remember it is a trial. This is like an audition, a tryout, and it's your time to speak up. It's going to be a lot harder to speak up on your wedding day when you're super stressed and worried. So definitely speak up uh, while, you know, while you're in the chair, while you are seeing things happen to your face in the mirror, don't worry about offending um, your stylist. They know that you have opinions and you are the expert on your own hair and your own face. So it is totally fine to speak up. You don't want to be upset. And you do want to give yourself time if for some reason it was totally, you know, an awful experience, absolute disaster, you hated the work or you hated uh, the stylist, you do have time to find somebody else. So I guess that is why they want you to go at least four months ahead of time. I would say, yeah, probably three, two or three, it was probably still also be fine. But again, if it's super important to you and you, you know, especially if you wanted to have multiple trials, uh, definitely get that booked. Okay, we are moving into the three month out 
checklist. All right. So three months out, order the invitations and hire a calligrapher. <laughs> Again, this one makes me laugh that it's just, it's not even like optional, uh, hire a calligrapher. It's like, oh no, of course you will hire a calligrapher. <laughs> um, that's a bit hilarious to me. Three months out. So this is a little bit controversial. So I've noticed this bride's article says, uh, so you're going to order the invitations at three months out. And then I don't think you're actually sending them until two months out. So eight weeks out, which is actually what we're planning to do for our wedding. But again, we did send save the dates out, um, I believe in February for a September wedding, which is uh, a little late, but was fine. Um, and then we'll be sending out invites in July for a September wedding. So about eight weeks out. But if you, again, are in any of these Facebook groups, these wedding planning Facebook groups, you'll see people, there's such a wide range of when people send invitations. And a lot of people are sending them like months and months ahead of time instead of that typical six to eight weeks, which is what you'll see online. And I think it does make sense. I think eight weeks is like the latest, I would leave it to send out invitations. Cause you have to think if you put your invitations in the mail at eight weeks, you got to give it like at least a week to arrive at people's homes, right? Maybe longer if you're doing international or if your postal carrier is um, struggling. <laughs> and then you also like, you'll need those answers back with enough time to figure out like your seating charts and to confirm numbers with your caterer and whatever else you need to do where you need those final numbers, right? Let your venue know. So most often caterers and, um, you know, venues and things like that, they will want those final numbers. Like it could be as early as a month before your wedding. Some might give you up until a week before your wedding, but that's super stressful. Can you imagine a week before your wedding, not knowing your final numbers, not being able to put together a seating chart, not being able to tell your venue, um, you know, exactly how many chairs and tables you need. Like that's super stressful. So my ideal would be to have my final, final numbers a month before my wedding. So if I'm only sending the invites six weeks before the wedding, that's not going to work because I need to give them, you know, a week to receive it. Okay. We're at five weeks and then they need a week to send it back to me four weeks. And that's when I need the answer four weeks. So we're basically telling people as soon as they get in the mail, they need to very quickly turn around, put it back with their answer, which we all know does not happen. Um, I would say the majority of people do not RSVP on time, which is so rude. <laughs> if you're planning a wedding, you understand. Um, so rude. Don't like you have to RSVP and you have to RSVP on time. Even if the answer is no, please at least do it. You might think if you have like online RSVPs or text RSVPs or something like that, it's going to be easier and it probably will be, um, but you will still be hunting people down for responses. So I would say uh, the very latest you want to send them is that two month, eight week mark. But I totally understand if you want to send them three or four months, I wouldn't send them much earlier than that. People forget those invites get lost. You will still, I think no matter when you send them, you will still be chasing people down to return uh, RSVPs. There is no um, proof that like, if you send them out earlier, you get RCPs earlier. Not true. People still procrastinate. Um, but also not true that if you send them out super late, you'll get all of your RSVPs on time because people, you know, feel that urgency. No, they will still miss your deadline. So all this to say, I would say the latest you should send those invites is eight weeks, but I think you could do like 12 weeks would be totally fine. Uh, but back to the rides checklist. So they are saying at three months out, you want to order those invitations and hire a calligrapher. So I would actually order those invitations earlier. I would order them probably at the four or five month out mark, um, just to make sure that you're super, super happy with them. They come back, like just in case there's an issue, if there's a delay or they mess up the printing, you have time for a reprint. Um, hire a calligrapher. I would put this in a very optional bucket. Uh, you do not need to hire a calligrapher, especially if the idea is that your invitations are already printed and your calligrapher is just writing people's names on the envelope. Um, 
10 out of 10 times that envelope ends up in the trash. Nobody cares. So go ahead and just write that with pen or better yet, uh, get all of the addresses printed. There are lots of online systems where you can, you know, input even just a spreadsheet. You can input all of your guests' information, their names, their addresses, and just print those onto little labels that you stick onto the envelopes. Much cheaper. Um, yeah, I wouldn't bother with a calligrapher unless stationary and, you know, penmanship is super, super important to you. The next thing you want to do at three months out is create or plan your menu. Um, I, again, would think this is something you've done sooner, uh, especially if you already did your tasting like two months ago. Um, I would think that's probably the time where you are creating or planning your menu. But I guess maybe this is more finalizing your menu. Um, yeah, again, this I think this will really depend on your caterer and they will let you know when they need certain information, when you need to do certain things. Uh, if your caterer is not letting you know, I think it's a bit of a red flag if they're leaving this all sort of with you because that means that they don't really understand their timing and when they need the information. Uh, for us who are just ordering from some local restaurants, um, I think we're actually on track with this, with this checklist. We are currently three months out and we are currently in the process of creating and planning our menu. So We've, we've done this, however, we haven't actually ordered anything yet. At three months out, brides also would like you to brainstorm guest favors and gift bags. Uh, again, these are so optional. Uh, most guests do not care about favors. They get left behind. Um, even if they do get used or get eaten, if you're doing like an edible favor, like a little chocolate or a little mint or something like that, the most you're going to get is someone going, oh, cute. Or like, oh my God, I'm starving. Thank God there's one piece of chocolate on my plate and they'll eat it and they'll forget about it. It's not a big deal. So please do not put tons and tons of money or time into making these like adorable little favors. Um, I saw, I don't mean to bash on anyone, but I saw in one of the Facebook groups, somebody saying, oh, I got these adorable mints. They say mint to be, and people were freaking out like, oh my God, that's so cute. I have to order those. And people were spending like hundreds of dollars on these mints with a little tag that says mint to be. And yes, that's very cute. But like, does your, do your guests care about having a mint? Probably not. <laughs> like, that's probably not a big deal. Um, again, the most you'll get is, oh, cute, as somebody either eats a mint or pushes it off their plate. So I would not spend tons of money or time on guest favors. I think those are very, very optional. Another thing I think is optional, which Brides has on your three-month checklist, is to book a photo booth. Um, you do not need a photo booth. This is super optional. And honestly, if I'm being uh, my judgy self, I think a little bit dated. I think photo booths maybe were more of like a 2015 thing, and we're kind of moving away from them. That said, when I go to an event that has a photo booth, I'm all about it. I'm in it. Um, but I think it's, it's a different vibe. I think you end up getting people who spend all night in the photo booths with like different uh, groups of friends with different props and they can't wait and they're standing there and they can't wait to get their printed photo and your dance floor is empty because everyone is like crowding into this photo booth. Um, also, if you're planning to use it to like get a bunch of photos, you know, for your own self, like to keep, usually there, you know, there's a couple great fun ones. Uh, I would say most of them are just sort of drunken messes and you would have to work something out with the photo booth place to make sure that they are giving you, uh, copies of the photos. Cause again, 10 out of 10 times, the people who take the photos, um, they are the people who are in the photos will, will take the photos. They're not going to leave a photo behind for you to like put in your scrapbook or something like that. So I'm kind of out on photo booth rentals, but if that is important to you and you think it's a ton of fun, um, I don't want to yuck your yum, go for it. And if you want to book that three months out, sure. Sounds great. <laughs> three months out, Brides also has you writing your vows. Um, I think this is really nice. Uh, I did an entire episode two episodes ago, all about vows, uh, whether you want to write them yourself or recite some traditional ones. So go back and listen to that. And I think it's a good idea to actually start thinking about your vows at the three month out mark. 
way too many people are writing their vows the morning of their wedding, just rushing, feeling stressed. So don't be that person. Definitely start thinking about it and writing them three months out. I think it's a really good idea. Um, a few more things. Goodness, Brides has you doing a lot at three months out. <laughs> they would also like you to select your readings. So if you're having any readings at your wedding, um, whether those are religious readings or they don't have to be, you can do poems or quotes from movies or TV shows or just cool love stories or whatever it is. Um, usually these happen at the ceremony. You can select those here. Um, I don't think this is something you really need to be super stressed about. If if you're getting married in a religious space and you have to have a reading, um, usually there's like a handful of good ones to choose from. So it's not all that hard. If you're not having a religious ceremony, I wouldn't stress to include a reading. It's not, um, as a wedding guest, I've never been like, wow, I'm so glad the bride's aunt got up there and read a poem to make this ceremony three minutes longer than it needed to be. <laughs> like, it's not a big deal. However, if you know, you do have some words that are super important to you, if there's a quote or a love song or a poem that's always meant a lot to you, that's been, you know, part of your relationship, or if there are people in your life who are not in your wedding party, but you really want to honor them with a special role, then sure, go ahead, give them the job of reader and select those readings. Um, if you have no idea where to start, you know you want readings, you have a reader in mind, but you don't know what reading, go ahead and put that on the reader. Tell them you want them to pick the reading and all you have to do is approve it. That's a great way to delegate this task. Again, at three months, um, two more two more things that Brides wants you to do at three months. We have meet with the officiant and invite him or her to the rehearsal dinner. Um, I do think you should definitely meet with your officiant ahead of time. Again, I think this will depend on the type of officiant you are hiring. If it's somebody, you know, a professional officiant who's writing you a full custom ceremony, they have probably worked out in their schedule when they're going to meet with you, if they're going to do like phone calls with you or Zoom calls or meet you in person or for coffee to learn more about you to write the ceremony, that's probably all already scheduled. Um, if it's like a religious person through wherever you're having your ceremony, again, they also probably have, you know, a timeline for when they're going to meet with you. If you're just doing like, we're going to show up at the courthouse, or we're going to hire some government official off a website, they probably don't want to meet with you ahead of time. Um, and they probably don't want to attend your rehearsal dinner. They might not even uh, attend your rehearsal unless you are paying them. I think if you do have an officiant uh, and they're able to attend the rehearsal, that's super, super important. They can kind of lead the rehearsal. They're the experts. They you know, are the ones who officiate weddings. So they'll be able to tell you exactly what you need to know about um, you know, when to walk down the aisle and where to stand and what's going to happen next. And then we're going to do this and make sure you put your hands here. Uh, they can really give you all of that information on the day. So definitely invite them to the rehearsal or uh, hire them to, to run the rehearsal. And then invite them to the dinner is super nice. I don't think it's mandatory. Um, I think it really depends on your relationship with your officiant. And I don't think, you know, a regular professional officiant or government official would be expected or would expect to be invited to your rehearsal dinner. So I, I disagree with brides on there on that. I don't think it's mandatory. I think it's nice to extend the invitation, but it's not something you have to do, especially if you're paying that person to be at your rehearsal. You certainly don't have to uh, feed them dinner as well afterwards. Lastly, at three months out, Bride says to start crafting any DIY items if you haven't already. Well, why would I already, Brides? You didn't have it on the checklist. <laughs> um, I did an entire episode on to DIY or not to DIY, so I will point you back to that one. I think three months out is a good time because you kind of know what your wedding is going to look like, so you know what uh, DIY projects are left, and it still gives you enough time to you know put into your DIY projects where you don't have to stay up till midnight every night to get them done, and it also gives you enough time to scrap the projects and just buy something if you don't end up wanting to go the DIY route, which is totally, totally fine. Again, head back to that DIY or not DIY episode. 
All right, so we are getting there. We're at two months out. So two months out, Bride says to send the wedding invitations with RSVPs due one month before the wedding. So we've already talked about this. I think the latest you should send them out is this two month out mark. And again, see if you're saying RSVPs due one month before the wedding, you're really only giving your guests a couple weeks to get those RSVPs back to you, uh, which can be very difficult for some people. And it doesn't give you much time to hound them. <laughs> uh, if you actually want the RSVPs, let's say, Okay, let's let's go for it. Let's do the math here. So let's say you're getting married at September 1st. Uh, you want RSVPs back. Like the latest you want them in your hands is August 1st. Brides is telling you not to send them until July 1st. By the time you factor in mail time, let's say everyone gets them like July 7th, July 10th. Uh, they're going to need a week to send it back to you. So now we're at like July 23rd is when they're going to have to put it in the mail. Um, but you know you're going to need a week to hound these people. So that's like July 15th. So then, yeah, they have one week between when they receive the invite on July 7th and when they have to put it in the mail July 15th uh, to actually get that RSVP to you, which is not enough time. So you know your group best. Um, I would suggest probably sending a little bit earlier if you really do need all of those numbers in hand a month beforehand. Two months out, you should also send out rehearsal dinner invitations. And uh, Brides notes that these can be included with the wedding invitations if you'd like. I think, again, Brides is making too big a deal out of this wedding rehearsal dinner. I do not think it needs to be this big thing that you send invitations to. I don't know if that's just, um, you know, a cultural thing or a geographic thing. Maybe where I'm from, the rehearsal dinner is not that big a deal. Uh, I've been to probably three or four rehearsal dinners. Um, I don't remember ever getting a formal invitation to it. It was more of just like a text from the couple saying, hey, we're doing the rehearsal at this time and then we'll go out for dinner after. Okay, great. Glad you can make it. Um, I don't remember being formally invited. I don't think you need to do that. I don't think it needs to be this formal event with a separate invitation. Um, just let the people know who need to be there, usually just your wedding party, your parents, uh, apparently the officiant should be invited. I know a lot of people like to invite their out of town guests to the rehearsal dinner as well. I think this is totally optional. You don't have to do this, especially if you are having a ton of out of town guests and your rehearsal dinner is just turning into another version of your wedding. You really do not need to uh, invite those people to another meal that you pay for. If you want to do something, you can have like a welcome drink or like an after party type deal. So maybe you can say like, oh, hey, like we're going to, you know, meet in the lobby of the hotel for cocktails at 5 p.m. and like first rounds on us. And then at 7 p.m. you go off to the rehearsal dinner and anyone who's not invited can just, you know, handle themselves, <laughs> take themselves out for dinner. I think that is totally fine. At two months out, you want to also go to your first dress fitting, Bride says. Um, so I went to my first dress fitting three months out. Um, and the tailor did say I was there a little bit early. In my defense, I had emailed first and they told me to come in uh, actually four months out. So I don't know if the wires got crossed or whoever answered my email was not the person who I actually saw in the store. I think two months out is probably fine unless you have a ton of work that you need to do. Like if you put on your dress and you know you want to like have sleeves created and change the um, I don't know, change the neckline and you have to add a, an extra layer of tool and create a train and all these other things. If you have a ton of work that needs to get done, I would go earlier, especially if it's very like finicky, uh, find handwork or you have a lot of layers to your dress. Um, also, don't be shocked that uh, alterations can be very expensive. I know say yes to the dress is usually uh, not the most realistic place to go for prices, um, but they will sometimes quote alterations like up to $1,000. And I think that's actually true. I think a lot of people are paying that much. I'm paying about $300 for 
uh, hemming on three layers and moving the straps, which I thought was a, a lot of money. I thought that was too much, um, but I haven't heard of people paying much less than that for any work on a wedding dress. And I know a lot of people say like, oh, it's because it's a wedding dress. Like if it was, you know, black or blue or whatever, it would be way less. I don't think that's true. I think wedding dresses just happen to be more detailed and a lot of them have a lot of layers. So I do remember the last time I went in to get a dress fitted, um, I believe it was probably $200 and that was to change the back zipper into a corset and to hem the dress. Um, but this time it, it cost more, but there was also way more dress. Like there was three layers that she's going to have to hem. So I understand it's a bigger job. Uh, so first dress fitting at two months, maybe, maybe earlier, depending on how much work you need done. Um, definitely try on your dress at this point. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially through COVID, bodies change totally fine. You've survived a pandemic, no shame. Um, a lot of people have been nervous to put their dresses on because they are worried that they're not going to fit anymore. I was one of those people. And I think one of the reasons why I actually went to my tailor earlier was just to sort of bite the bullet, do it. I wanted to try on the dress, wanted to see where we were at. Um, so don't be someone who like, you know, is scared to try on your dress and you're waiting until like three weeks beforehand, because then if worst case scenario, it doesn't fit, you didn't leave yourself any time to do anything about it. Two months out, Brides is also telling you to pick up your marriage license. Uh, great idea, great time. Again, you will want to Google um, because every country, every state, every county has different laws about when you're able to pick up your marriage license, how you can pick it up, how much it costs, where you get it, if you both have to go together, if just one of you can go. I have heard some horror stories in California of people like who cannot get an appointment at their county. So they have to drive for hours up and down the state to find a county that is open in order for them to get a license before their wedding day. So if you live in California, this is mostly where I have heard these horror stories, uh, do this research before two months out, because it sounds like it is hard to get an appointment to get a license. Um, in other places, you're not able to get a license until, you know, 30 days out, 90 days out, 100 days out, whatever it is. So just do some research. I would do this research uh, well before the two month mark, just to make sure you're prepped. And then if, if it works out, you know, if your research says yes, two months is a great time to go out and pick up your license. At two months out, brides would also like you to buy your wedding party gifts. Uh, sure. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, I believe this was included in my gifts episode, or I might have done a separate one. I feel like I've talked about this before. <laughs> um, wedding party gifts, you do not need to spend a ton and ton of money. Um, I think if you buy anything that is for your wedding day, that doesn't really count as a gift. Like if you buy them, um, you know, necklaces to wear or robes to wear or things like that, those aren't really gifts. Sure, they can use them again later, but you're mostly buying it for your own aesthetic. So things look good at your wedding. You don't have to get their name engraved on everything, especially not if you're not even going to do the name, if you're just going to write bridesmaid on a bunch of things or put your wedding date on it. Most people do not want a bunch of tumblers and mugs and towels and makeup bags that say their name. <laughs> and they definitely don't want a bunch of, uh, you know, knickknacks that say bridesmaid or 2021 or things like that. Um, again, maybe I'm just cynical, not my thing. I think you can definitely get away with a very heartfelt card, maybe a beautiful photo of the two of you in a frame or something really uh, practical and handy, like a gift card to their favorite restaurant or you can help out with some of the costs that they're paying for your wedding, things like that. Uh, again, I have talked about this in a previous episode, uh, if you care to hear more of my rants about wedding party gifts. But sure, two months is a great time to finalize what those are going to be. At two months, you should also do a floral mock-up with your florist. Um, again, I'm just getting a bouquet and a corsage, so I'm probably not going to be doing this. Um, I did not know that floral mock-ups were a thing. 
uh, I would defer to your florist on this to see if this is something that you need to do. I guess if you are having a ton of flowers, this is a real thing. Um, but if you're not, if you're kind of just doing like basic, like a few bouquets, a few corsages, maybe some centerpieces, or maybe, you know, a bit of decor for the ceremony or on an arch or something like that, you probably don't need a mock-up. That's probably not part of the package, uh, but maybe you do want to go in and meet with your florist and just confirm colors or flowers or things like that. Uh, two months. Wow, we've got a few more things for the two month out mark. This is a very busy month. I think Brides has you kind of quitting your job at the three month out mark when they give you a ton of things to do. Uh, because if we remember back to six months, you just had one thing to do. <laughs> um, so the next one that Brides has here on the two month out mark is to give song selections to your band or DJ. Um, sure. Yeah, I think two months is a fine time to do this if you want to wait till a bit sooner. I think that's fine too. I don't think your band or DJ is going to do anything with your list of songs until maybe the week of your wedding. Um, they also have give song selections to your ceremony musicians at this time. I think the musicians um, and maybe even the bands that is probably a little bit more important if it's anything like, hey, I need you to learn how to play this song. Again, check in with your musicians because I don't think all musicians are open to that. Um, but for a DJ, they probably do not need your song list like 60 days before your wedding. Um, but it's one of those tasks that you can do ahead of time. And it's one of those tasks that could be a lot of fun, like sitting down with your partner and thinking up what songs you want to have played, um, especially for, you know, if you're doing a first dance or a special song for your processional or things like that. Um, it's fun to sit down together and figure out what those songs are going to be. So this is one that you could tick off super early and just send to your band DJ, whoever, anytime. Um, I would probably try to spend a little bit more time on selecting those special songs. So like the first dance, the coming down the aisle, things like that. And uh, thinking of any songs you absolutely do not want played, I would not spend time putting together a very detailed, like, here are the 500 songs we want for, um, you know, the dance. And here are the 200 songs we want for dinner. Your DJ, if they are any good at their job, same with your band, same with your musicians, they know how to read a room. They know how to play songs that people love. They know what is appropriate for dinner music versus dancing music. So I would just totally leave that with them. And don't stress yourself out to come up with like three hours of amazing dance songs that transition perfectly from one to the other. If you do want to do that, then you might as well not hire a DJ and just get like a Spotify playlist and some speakers. Um, but otherwise, I would just focus on those important songs. So the first dance, uh, if you're doing like a parent child dance, anything like that, as well as any like absolutely do not play this song if you have songs like that, that uh, are not <laughs> to your liking. <laughs> Last thing that Brides wants you to do at two months out is buy all the small items. This is a pretty broad category, Brides, but all right. So I will list here some of the things that they are including in small items. Table numbers, toasting flutes, cake toppers, cake stand, cake knife, guest book, card box, ring bearer accessories, flower girl accessories, a cute hanger for your dress, and a garter. Also pashminas, flip-flops, sunglasses, signs, baskets, um, a lot of, a lot of stuff. <laughs> I have fallen into the trap of purchasing some of these things. Um, I'm trying very hard to stay away from them because a lot of them are just things I do not care about. Um, we're not going to have a cake, so we don't need a cake topper. I don't need any special toasting flutes. We're not having tables, so I don't need table numbers. Uh, we did do a guest book. We are probably going to get a card box. I don't think signs are necessary. Most people know which way things are. They feel welcomed without a welcome sign. Um, so I would just, again, go, you know, going through this list, I wouldn't go out of your way to try to think of things that you're, you know, you don't have. If it's something as you go through your day in your head that you're like, oh, wow, we're actually going to need, um, 
guest book. Like, oh, that's actually really important to us to have uh, people sign a guest book or, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, sunglasses would be a great thing to provide at the ceremony because it's going to be super sunny and there's no shade. Um, things like that. If you can think of them and they actually are going to make a difference for your day, go for it. But it's a little bit scary when you hear a list like this, because all of a sudden you start saying, oh my gosh, wow, I don't have a cake topper. Do I need a cake topper? <gasps> I need a cake knife. I can't just use the regular knife that the, you know, the caterer is going to provide. And you start adding all of these things to your list that end up blowing your budget. So I would just be very careful when it comes to these small items, because small items can add up very quickly. Okay, we are at one month out. I am losing my voice. I am rambling way too long, but I'm going to finish this. I will not stretch this to three episodes, I promise. Okay, so one month out. First thing Brides wants you to do is assemble gift bags. We've already talked about this. I think gift bags, gift favors, totally optional, totally unnecessary. So I would strike this from your list. You also want to pay your vendors in full. Um, again, I think this is something that's going to be uh, situational. Your vendors will probably let you know when they want the deposit paid, when they want the final payment. Brides mentions how awkward it is to have to pay someone on your wedding day. I think most uh, vendors by this point have figured out, yes, that's very uncomfortable. They also don't want to come up to the newlyweds and say, oh, wow, congratulations. By the way, you owe me $10,000. Um, so I think most vendors at this point have figured it out where you are paying them ahead of time, at least, you know, a week ahead of time, if not months ahead of time. So I would just, um, you know, at the one month out mark, if you do still have any vendors who haven't been paid in full, just double check your contracts and figure out when you're supposed to pay them and figure out the easiest way to do that. If you can like Venmo or PayPal or pay online or whatever, so you don't have to carry a check or God forbid you have to bring cash in an envelope or something like that. I think that's a very dated reference. Um, there's like movies where the father of the bride has like all these envelopes with cash in them that he's handing out to vendors on the day. Uh, another thing, this might come up later in the bride's article. I haven't, um, oh, it is coming up, Never mind catch myself. Okay, the next thing Brides wants you to do at a month out is create a seating chart. So again, this is going to be dependent on when you get back those RSVPs, because you cannot create your final seating chart until you know who's going to be at your wedding. Um, I think seating charts are super important in terms of telling people what table to go to. I don't think you actually need to tell them where to sit at the table unless you want to. Um, I think people are adults, they'll figure it out. But I do like the idea of telling people what table to go to, or else, in my opinion, it's a little bit of uh, an inconvenience to your guests, because now you have them running around trying to figure out where there is a free spot, how they can sit with friends or people they know, you end up having awkward like spacing because people don't want to sit next to strangers. So you actually have to have more tables and chairs than you need. Um, it's awkward, especially if you have people, if you're not doing a buffet, if you're doing like a plated dinner, it's very hard for the caterers. How do they know where the three vegans are sitting? Um, so I would certainly do a seating chart and uh, hopefully you got your RSVPs back by now so you can put that seating chart together. At a month out, brides would also like you to order or make your escort escort cards and place cards. So these are those little cards that tell people where to sit. Um, there's lots of different ways to do this. You don't have to do an individual uh, little card for each person, um, though those can be very cute. And if you, if you did hire that calligrapher a few months ago, maybe you want to give them this task. You can just do a large seating chart. Lots of people do this. I'm sure you've seen them all over Pinterest. They'll write on like pieces of glass or mirrors or old uh, windows. They'll have the seating chart. You can just print like a giant piece of paper or have it printed on a sign. Whatever is going to be easier for you, whatever like your aesthetic says, um, but you do not have to make little individual cards if you don't want to. Uh, 
And a month out, you should have your final venue walkthrough. Again, I would default to your venue and see if this is something um, that they make time for and if it's important to you. And Bride suggests that you bring any questions as well as a planner or another close friend or family member to bring up anything you forgot. Uh, hopefully you're not forgetting anything. Uh, isn't that the whole point of this checklist, Brides, that we're not forgetting anything? Um, but sure, a final venue walkthrough if that's important to you, if you need to see the space one more time. I imagine most venues are available via phone or email. So if you did have any questions, it's not like, oh my God, I forgot to ask when I was there, you know, a month ago, uh, you can probably fire off an email and get an answer. <laughs> um, next for the month out, Brides wants you to put cash in tip envelopes for your planner to delegate or distribute. Um, or delegate. Yeah, sorry, they phrased that poorly. Um, so this was the one I was thinking about when it was coming to paying your vendors. So tips are a little bit different in that you probably don't want to tip until after the your wedding because you do want to, you know, just make sure everything goes well. It'd be awful if you decided to tip someone and they just like, you know, no showed on your wedding or did a terrible job and you really regret giving them that tip. Um, this is another one where it's going to really vary depending on your culture and where you are in the world uh, about whether you tip, how much you tip, who gets tipped. So do some local research at Almost every vendor will tell you that tips are very nice, but they're not expected. And the nicest thing you can do is give them a heartfelt thank you and write a really glowing review. So if tips are not in your budget, definitely uh, make sure that you are big on the thank yous and writing a really beautiful review for anyone who goes above and beyond. Usually, you know, um, like, yeah, at the very minimum, you're tipping like any wait staff, just like you would at a restaurant. Um, and you're tipping people who like do hair and makeup, things like that. Um, a lot of people like to tip their wedding planner or uh, their musicians. And generally speaking, you don't need to tip people who own their own business as they don't have to pay out any employees. So usually like photographers or florists or things like that, they own their own business. You don't have to tip them. And you generally don't have to tip people who are just dropping things off. So like the person who drops off your cake. Um, but again, all up to you and all varies a lot by geography and by culture. So do a little research. And uh, yes, if you want, you can put cash in envelopes. You could also probably figure out a more modern solution, do a quick Venmo or a PayPal. I also don't think any vendors would be upset if you tipped them after the fact. Like if it was, you know, the next day you sent them a little surprise uh, PayPal with some money, I think they'd be very happy about that. However, I have heard the advice that it's nice to give a tip to, let's say you're tipping your DJ, if you give them the tip before um, you know, the dancing gets started and then they do an extra good job for you. I don't know if that's true. And I don't know if there's a way to really show that like, oh yeah, he would have done a terrible job if I hadn't given him a hundred dollars. Cause you don't know that. Um, so I don't think that's something you really need to worry about. And if you're stressed about, oh my gosh, like who do we tip? How much do we put in the envelope? When do we give it to them? I would just wait until after your wedding and do it all then. The last thing brides wants you to do a month before your wedding is break in your shoes. Um, nice. That's a good idea. Uh, I would think you probably needed to buy those shoes at some point. Isn't that interesting? Nowhere on this checklist do we have buying any of your wedding accessories like a veil or shoes or jewelry. So that's probably something you wanted to do already. Um, I bought my shoes a long time ago, months and months and months ago. Um, and they are just flats off of Amazon, uh, but they're a bit uncomfortable. So actually I should probably spend some more time breaking them in. Um, yeah, I think no big deal. Buy your shoes earlier if you need to break them in. Buy them later if you don't care. Wear shoes you already own. Uh, worst case scenario, your feet kind of hurt. You change into flip-flops or runners. Totally fine. <laughs> okay, moving into the final week. Bride says, congratulations. It's time to take care of things like refreshing your hair color. Ooh, I would actually do this before 
a week out and I would not do anything drastic. So I like how they say refreshing your hair color, not like trying out a brand new hair color. <laughs> they also list getting your eyebrows done. Good call. Uh, manicure, pedicure. Yep. Good call. I know a lot of people put a lot of thought into their manicure, uh, assuming there'll be some close up photos of like the rings and your um, nails. So you might want to do a little bit more thought on what that's going to look like. Um, if you're going to get like fake nails put on, or if you're just going to use uh, your natural nails, whatever it is, get a massage. Uh, sure. That sounds nice. I don't think mandatory, but, but why not? Final dress fitting. Uh, again, I think this will depend on the person you're working with and alterations. For me personally, a week before would be a little bit too stressful to do that final dress fitting as I don't think it gives quite enough time to make any changes that might be needed. So I would probably push this to like two weeks before, maybe even a month before, assuming that your size is not going to change or that your dress, you know, if you have a corset dress, then maybe it's a little bit more uh, forgiving whether you get bigger or smaller. You should also pack your bags for your honeymoon. Um, don't forget your passport. Confirm your travel arrangements. Uh, yep, that's a good call if you are planning to honeymoon right away. As I mentioned in my honeymoon episode, uh, most couples actually don't go on their honeymoon right away. So you can obviously ignore that if that's not you. Um, they also suggest doing any edible crafting the week before your wedding. It's <laughs> a funny way to phrase that. Um, sure. Yeah, of course. You probably don't want to be doing uh, edible crafting earlier than that, but you also don't want to leave yourself a ton of edible crafting to do because uh, that sounds super stressful the week before your wedding. You know, guests are probably arriving. You're probably putting out a million fires, talking to all these vendors. You don't want to be staying up late, uh, tying bows on little, I don't know, uh, caramel apples or something like that. They also tell you to clean your ring. Um, that's a great idea. If your jeweler offers any like professional cleaning, I would check in with them earlier than a week before just to make sure um, they're able to accommodate. But honestly, most rings can just be cleaned with like a little bit of dish soap and water. So you can do that at home. Uh, chase any RSVP stragglers. Oh, this one gives me heart palpitations. Hopefully the week of your wedding, you are not chasing RSVP stragglers like that. Isn't that why we asked for those numbers a month before? Um, no, please do not save this till the week of your wedding. I would say the week of your wedding, those numbers are firm. If you haven't heard from anyone, it's a no. I might do a whole episode on RSVPs because this just gives me some, some major stress. <laughs> that sounds like a terrible thing to be doing the week of your wedding. Uh, clear your work to-do list. You can only focus on wedding festivities and take it all in. All right, Brides, so that's a little presumptuous. I think most people are not able to take off the entire week before their wedding. If you are, that's amazing. If you're not, please don't feel bad. Um, you are already spending a ton of time and money on this one day. It's not expected that you also take off a week of work. Um, so I would say, you know, clear your wedding to-do list. Probably not, probably not practical. Maybe a few days before your wedding, you can lighten your work to-do list, but there's no need to absolutely clear your work to-do list. Practice your vows out loud. Yep. Good call. I mentioned this in my vows episode and write your partner a note. Uh, I think this is optional, but I know a lot of people like to trade little cards or notes with their partner on the day of their wedding, which I think is very sweet. And it's a great idea to write that the week before. Okay, we're moving on night before and day of the wedding. We're almost there. Apologies. I know this episode is running very long. So the big day is here the night before uh, bride says to eat a healthy meal. Yes, good call. Pack clutch or small bag of personal items. I would actually do this. I would move this one to the week before. I know a lot of people like to put together an emergency bag with things like uh, deodorant and safety pins and blotting powder and, you know, whatever else you need. If you Google, um, you know, wedding emergency bag, you'll find all sorts of fun little things you can put in. I would 
um, have that together at least the week before, if not sooner, if you have to go out and like buy a bunch of items, if you don't have any of those things on hand, um, in terms of like packing a small bag, like if it's just like, oh yeah, my phone and my chapstick, sure, that can be the night before, but all those other items, I would not wait till the night before to, you know, realize like, oh crap, we don't have any safety pins in the house. Somebody run out and buy me some. You don't want to do that. The night before they say to drink water. Yes. Good call. Please do that. Uh, the whole time, all 12 months before, be drinking water. Get a good night's sleep. Uh, good luck. I know a lot of people are, you know, stressed or anxious or nervous or even just excited and it's tough to sleep, um, but try your best. Also put any boxes, suitcases, bags um, to bring to the ceremony or reception in your car. Uh, sure. Yeah. If that's applicable, if you were driving your own car or if there is a car already ready to go, um, you could load that up the night before. That's nice. Uh, I think less so than loading it up the night before is more just having a plan for how those things are going to get to your ceremony or reception. And again, I think that's something you want to work on like at least the week before, if not sooner, have a plan for all of the various items you have purchased that are either at your house or at your parents' house or at a hotel or at wherever they are, how they are getting to the ceremony, how they're getting to the reception, how they're getting home, uh, literally walk through like the travel of each of those items. So if you have, let's say you have a box where guests are going to put their cards and it's currently at your house. Um, so how is it going to get to the hotel where you're spending the night before the wedding? How is it going to get to the reception? After the reception, how's it going to get back to your hotel? How's it going to get back to your house? Like literally go through the travel path of all of these items and figure out the plan. It might not be you actually putting it in a car the night before your wedding. It might be um, your uncle picking it up the next day or something like that. Uh, whatever it is, you can figure that out and hopefully not be stressed about it the night before. All right, the morning of, we're there, the big day. So it says, stay off your feet as much as possible. Sure, that sounds nice. Eat breakfast. Yes, very important. Please eat. Drink even more water. Yes, good call. Take your dress and veil out of the bag early on and have someone steam them if needed. Yes, uh, this is something you probably want to check in with uh, whoever's doing your alterations and just ask them like, hey, can my dress be steamed? Um, is that okay? Is that going to ruin anything? What's the plan? Should I, you know, shake this out? How early? It really does depend. If your ceremony is not till like, you know, the evening, you probably can take it out that morning. If you're having an earlier ceremony, you want, might want to take your dress and veil out of the bag the day before and just uh, let those wrinkles fall out. Lay out all your items, rings, invitations, etc. that you want your photographer to capture. I think this is something you should actually talk to your photographer about ahead of time. And I'm surprised this wasn't on the list, uh, giving your photographer like a shot list. But I would discuss with your photographer, they will know if you say, hey, we want those detailed shots of the invitations, blah, blah, blah. They will tell you exactly what they need, you know, what usually goes in the shot. And it is a great idea to have those separate because it's a difficult thing on the morning of the wedding. If the photographer says, hey, where's your invite? And you're like, I don't know. I sent those out months ago. Like, <laughs> I'm supposed to have an extra invite just hanging around. They might have no idea what you're talking about, or you might not have any uh, idea where your invites are and how to help them out. So that is definitely something you want to talk to your photographer about before the morning of the wedding and have those items ready to go. Morning of, you should also exchange notes with your partner. Um, so those are those little cards if you and your partner wrote to ones to each other. And the very last thing you want to do is say thank you to everyone around you. That's very sweet. I like that they've ended it with gratitude. Okay, I will also end this episode with gratitude. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and tuning in to this two-part series on the wedding day checklist. I hope that was helpful and I hope you don't mind that I was losing my voice uh, throughout <laughs> throughout, and that I've done uh, a few little rants and uh, you know gone off topic here and there, but that's pretty much what you expect from this podcast. Um, and wishing you all the best wherever you are on your wedding planning journey. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. I really appreciate it, and I hope you found the episode helpful. If you really want to make my day, you can leave me a rating and a review, follow along so you don't miss the next episode, and tell a friend about the show. Remember, you shouldn't be spending your wedding day managing other people's feelings.